0: Daksha, Aditi, Vaivasvata, Manu, Ila, Pururava, Ayu, Nahusha, Yayati. These are the names of the rulers belonging to the Luna dynasty. Their descendants would go on to found the Puru and Yadu dynasties, key players in the story of the Mahabharata. Yayati had five sons and his youngest son Puru inherited the kingdom. From Puru came the Paurava dynasty who are the ancestors of the Puru or Kuru lineage, which include the Kauravas and the Pandavas. In the snake sacrifice conducted by King Janamejaya, charioteer-storyteller or sauti Vaishampayana narrates the story of the origin of the Kuru lineage. He lists the name of all the rulers of the Lunar dynasty starting from Daksha who was considered Brahma's son all the way to the 10th in line, Yayati, who was the son of Nahusha and Priyavasa. Sauti tells the story of Yayati's marriage to Devyani, his relationship with Sharmista, Devyani's friend and slave, his obsession with his youth and what he did to hold on to it, and why he decided to make his youngest son Puru his heir. Namaste, hello and welcome. You're listening to Stories of India Retold and I'm your storyteller Nivi. I'm a book-loving history buff and I'm ever fascinated by the power of storytelling. Join me for a dive into the history of India through a retelling of stories from Indian epics, Puranas, folklore and Indian history. Here you may find stories about men and gods, mortals and immortals, flying chariots, otherworldly, shape-shifting, dragon-like serpents, or just ordinary people achieving extraordinary feats. Before we start with the story, I have a short announcement. I will be taking a short vacation in the month of June, so I will not be able to upload any new episodes in the month of June. But I will be back here in July with new episodes. I intend to get a lot of reading done in June, and so when I'm back... And I'm really excited about this. When I'm back in July, I will have even more stories to share with you. In the meantime, please follow me on Instagram at storiesofindiaretold, where I will upload stories of my vacation from India. And now, to the story of Yayati and Devyani and the beginning of the Puru lineage. Let's start with the story of the woman Yayati married, Devyani. Devyani was the daughter of Brahmana Shukracharya, who held a position of power and influence in the court of the demon king, Rishaparva. Shukracharya was a man with great powers. He had the knowledge of Sanjeevni, which can bring back people from the dead. The gods and demons were at war, and even though the gods were killing the demons in large numbers, Shukracharya kept reviving the dead demons making it difficult for the gods to win. No one on the gods' side were in possession of this knowledge, which made them strategically weaker compared to their foes. The gods decided that for them to effectively win the war against the demons, they too needed access to the knowledge of Sanjeevani. With that in mind, they approached Kacha, the young son of the Brahmana Brhaspati, to apprentice under Shukracharya. They asked him to charm both Shukracharya and Devyani and convince Shukracharya to impart the knowledge of Sanjeevani to him. Kacha agreed and did as the gods told him. Kacha went to Shukracharya and explained that he wanted to practice Brahmacharya for a thousand years and made a request to Shukracharya to be his teacher. When one takes up Brahmacharya, one makes a commitment to lead a pure or very simple lifestyle as that of a monk and focus on their inner self. Shukracharya was pleased with Kacha and so he accepted Kacha as his student. Shortly after Kacha made a vow to take up Brahmacharya, he started to live with Shukracharya and Devyani. Kacha quickly adjusted to his routine in the new household. He particularly got along very well with Devyani. Kacha was a smart, charming, even-tempered young man, and Devyani immensely enjoyed spending time with him. Kacha treated her with respect. He made sweet gestures like making gifts of flowers and fruits. He was fun to be with, and they played musical instruments, danced, and sang songs together. However, Kacha never forgot his vow and remained focused on his tasks. And this way he spent the first 500 years of the thousand-year vow he had promised. News that Khacha was under Shukracharya's tutelage, and that he intended to learn the art of Sanjevini reached the Dhanavas, who were demigods. Some of them were aligned with the demons in the war against the gods. The Danavas worried that they would lose the war if the gods have access to the precious knowledge of Sanjeevani and so they decided to assassinate Kacha. The Danavas saw their chance one day when Kacha took the cattle out to graze alone in the forest. They killed Kacha, and chopped him up into tiny sesame seed sized pieces and fed the pieces to jackals and wolves when kacha didn't return home along with the cows that evening a worried devyani went to her father with concerns about kacha's whereabouts shukracharya used his powers to bring kacha back from the dead when questioned about what happened kacha revealed to them that he was killed after some days however the danavas struck again this time they attacked kacha in the forest when he had gone there to collect flowers as per Devyani's request. This time, they burned Kacha's body and took the ashes of Kacha's body and mixed it with wine and delivered the wine to Shukracharya. Tragically, the unsuspecting Shukracharya consumed the wine. Meanwhile, Devyani was getting increasingly worried because it was almost night time and Kacha had not returned yet. She shared her concerns with her father, who found out that Kacha was killed once again. Devyani was inconsolable. She begged her father to do something. Shukracharya said, What happened to Kacha is tragic and unfortunate. But he is now in the other world and we need to accept that. You know better than to grieve the death of a mortal man to this degree. While death is something everyone, even the gods, have to deal with. Shukracharya explained that since he had already revived him once before, it would be difficult for him to do that another time. There was no consoling Devyani. She confessed to her father that she admired Kacha. She knew him to be the very best man and was very much in love with him. I want to follow him to where he has gone. She stated in her intense grief. Already pained over the loss of an innocent disciple, Shukracharya was distressed even more when he saw how Kacha's loss was affecting his daughter. He wanted to stop his daughter's pain. So he sought to bring Kacha back from the dead once more. But when he called for Kacha, the response came from inside his stomach. Disbelief washed through Shukracharya when he realized that his dear disciple was inside his stomach. How did you come to be in my stomach? Please explain so that I can understand what is happening, he said to Kacha. Kacha explained that he remembered the events before and after his death because of Shukracharya, since Shukracharya was the one who called for him. He explained that he was killed by the Danavas after which they burned him, mixed his ashes in the wine and gave it to Shukracharya to drink. And that is how he ended up in Shukracharya's stomach. Shukracharya was shocked. The dhanava's actions were unimaginably cruel. But that matter would have to wait. They had more pressing matters on their hands. Shukracharya discussed with Devyani how they could save Khacha, The only way to save Khacha is through my death, he told Devyani. Devyani refused the idea. That is no solution. I cannot lose either of you, she said. They considered the problem some more and then came to a decision. Shukracharya told Khacha, Khacha, you are a very lucky man indeed. My daughter loves you very much, so I cannot let you die. I will impart the knowledge of Sanjeevani to you, after which you will come out of my stomach. And use the knowledge you received to revive me. Kacha agreed. Whilst inside his preceptor's stomach, Kacha received the knowledge of Sanjeevni. After the knowledge transfer was complete, Kacha came out of Shukracharya's stomach, completely revived for the second time. As soon as he could, he applied the knowledge he had just received and brought Shukracharya's body back from the dead. Shukracharya was still upset over what had transpired before his death. He was angry at himself for making a decision to drink the contaminated wine while already intoxicated. He realized that wine impaired his judgment as a result of which something catastrophic would have happened. With this in mind, he stated that no brahmana should partake in wine from this day forward and this should be the dharma that all Brahmanas should follow. Khacha continued to live with Shukracharya and completed his studies. Once he completed the thousand days of Brahmacharya as he had promised, he asked for Shukracharya's permission to stop so that he could take up the job the gods had offered him and work there. Shukracharya agreed and Khacha got ready to go to Indra's abode. When Khacha went to Devyani to say his goodbye, Devyani asked him to take her with him. She confessed her love to him and asked him to marry her. To her surprise, Khacha turned her down. When she confronted him with her feelings, he told her that anything romantic between them would be impossible because he was like a son to Shukracharya since he was recreated from inside Shukracharya's body and so anything romantic between them would be inappropriate. Devyani was blindsided. She never thought her love would not be reciprocated. She had always imagined that they would be eventually married. Broken-hearted and angry, she lashed out at Kacha and scolded him using harsh words and cursed him. Kacha didn't take kindly to being cursed at, and he told her that her words would not come true because he was motivated by dharma while she was not. Instead, he cursed her, saying that no rishi would marry her. Kacha left Shukracharya's place and went to Indra's court. And that is how the former good friends parted with bitter words. Now, you may be wondering that we are halfway into the story, but still no mention of Yayati. I promise I will get to it very soon. I considered skipping the Kacha part of the story. However, I think Devyani's experience with Kacha helps give us some insight into Yayati's relationship with her, and so I believe it is relevant. There is also this concept of reviving people and bringing them back from the dead. That, I think, aligns with Yayati's obsession with youth and living longer. One day, Devyani, accompanied by a large group of female friends, went to the beautiful woods nearby. They saw a lake there and decided it would be refreshing to take a dip in it. They stripped and got into the water. They played and had a lot of fun together. It was a particularly windy day, and when the wind blew, It moved the women's clothes which they had left by the water. When the girls came out of the water, they found that the clothes they had neatly piled by the lake was all in disarray. Quickly, they picked up whatever piece of clothing they could get their hands on. One of Devyani's very close friends, Sharmista, was also present in the party. She too picked up the cloth nearest to her without realizing that it was Devyani's. Sharmista was the daughter of Rishaparva, who is the king of asuras. She was the daughter of a person who held an important position in society, but Devyani was the daughter of a Brahmana, a powerful one at that. This placed him, and by extension her, in the topmost rung of the social ladder. However, he worked for Rishaparva, and so that made them interdependent on each other. Devyani, it seemed, liked to think that she was much more superior to Sharmista, because when she realized that Sharmista was wearing her clothes, she took great offense. How dare you, someone who is inferior to me, wear my clothes? she raged, grabbing the garments Sharmista was wearing. Have you no shame or sense? Sharmista was not going to take that insult, laying down. I am inferior. Your father is employed by my father and does what mine tells him to. He bows to my father with his hands stretched in front of him to be paid for the work he does as one asks for alms. You dare call me inferior. I do not see how you are superior. I don't even see you as my equal, she said. Devyani was stunned by Sharmista's attack. She stiffened. Her hands were still clutching at Sharmista's clothes. Sharmista was angry too. There was a well right behind where Devyani was standing and Sharmista, in her anger, viciously pushed her into the well and walked away without sparing her another glance. Devyani wasn't dead, as Sharmista had assumed, but she was struck in the empty well with no help coming her way and no means of getting out of it on her own. She hoped and prayed for someone to find her. Her prayers were answered when Yayati, who was hunting in the same forest, found her. He was thirsty and looking for water to drink. But instead of water, he found a beautiful girl inside the well who was looking sad and distressed. From the jewels she was wearing, Yayati deduced that she was not from an ordinary family. He was immediately curious about her. Who are you and how did you fall into this well? What happened? He asked her. Devyani introduced herself to Yayati and asked him to help her out of the well. She held out her right hand, which Yayati grasped and pulled her out. Yayati then said goodbye and continued on his way. On her way home, Devyani met her friend Ghurnika. Devyani quickly related to Ghurnika all that had transpired and asked her to rush to her father and share with him the same. Devyani added, Tell my father that I will not step into Rishaparva's city. Gurnika did as Devyani instructed. Shukracharya could not believe his ears when he heard what had happened to his cherished daughter. He was distraught. He went to Devyani and tried to console her. Your suffering must be the result of your wrong deeds of the past. It is done now, he told her. Devyani was not ready to be pacified. She said, It does not matter if this was the result of some bad deed of mine. Sharmista insulted both you and me. She likened you to a beggar and mocked your position in her father's court. I cannot abide such treatment from someone who was supposedly my friend. Are you really someone who begs and asks for favours from Rishaparva? No, her father denied vehemently. I don't beg or ask for favours from the king. My role in escort isn't something to snicker at. It is a respectable and essential role, he said. Sharmista's words had rubbed Shakracharya the wrong way too. However, he wanted Devyani to act in a more calm and logical manner. He asked her to calm down and not let her pride and anger rule her. He urged her to forgive her friend. He considered anger as a show of weakness. Father, I am aware of the wisdom of controlling one's anger. I also know that forgiveness is a virtue. But this kind of blatantly disrespectful behavior from them is unacceptable. I don't like to be associated with people who do not have a good regard for us and who have no respect for our position. I cannot live in Rishaparva's city anymore. I refuse to live amongst them, Devyani declared passionately. When Shukracharya heard how much this episode had affected his daughter, he too became incensed with Rishaparva and Sharmista. He went to Rishaparva and confronted him. Shukracharya told Rishaparva, over and over again you perform deeds that are guaranteed to bring you or your descendants grief in the future. First, you and your allies kill my beloved disciple Khacha who did no wrong and was entirely innocent. And now, Your daughter insults and almost kills my precious daughter. I have had enough of you and your actions. I am leaving your court, Shukracharya declared firmly. Immediately, Rishaparva panicked. His military success depended heavily on Shukracharya's skills. He simply could not afford to lose Shukracharya. He scrambled to appease Shukracharya. He begged for forgiveness and a chance to make things right. That is not in my hands. The person who can grant you what you ask is my daughter. Talk to her and see if she will come to an agreement," Shukracharya said. A desperate Rishaparva went to Devyani and begged her for her forgiveness. He asked her how he could make things right. Sharmista, along with thousands of her female companions, must be my slaves and they must follow me even when I am married," Devyani stated her demands. Rishaparva simply said, As you please, and sent a servant to bring Sharmista. His people could not lose a man with Shukracharya's skills, and he was ready to sacrifice his daughter for his cause. When Sharmista learned of what had happened, she readily agreed to Devyani's wishes because she felt responsible for creating the whole situation. Sharmista went to Devyani and humbly offered her services. Devyani Accepted, but not before rubbing it in to Sharmista, who was now in an impossible and vulnerable position. Sharmista told Devyani that she accepted that she was inferior to her and she would prove it by being Devyani's slave for the rest of her life. After much groveling by Sharmista, Devyani finally accepted her apology and agreed to continue living in Rishaparva's city. And so, Shukracharya also continued to work in Rishaparva's court. Months and seasons passed. One fine day, Devyani returned to the forest where she had first met Yayati. She went there with Sharmista, who was now her slave, and the thousand other slaves she had inherited as a result of her compromise with Rishaparva. Devyani was feeling great about the day. She and her big entourage played games, had good food and beverages, and were having a great time together. Quite serendipitously, her paths crossed with that of King Yayati again, uh, who also happened to be in the area that day hunting for deer, as he usually tended to do. He saw the women, and his attention was immediately caught by Devyani's beauty. He seemed to not have any recollection of meeting her there. Because he went to Devyani and asked her for an introduction. Devyani introduced herself. Then she introduced Sharmista as a friend who was also now her slave. She proceeded to sort of boast of the fact regarding the royal background of her slave. This piqued Yayate's interest. He noticed Sharmista and he noticed that she too was beautiful and he inquired more about her which in turn annoyed Devyani, who deflected the inquiries and distracted Yayati with questions of her own. Who are you? From your fine clothes and manners, I can tell that you are not an ordinary person. And what are you doing here? Devyani asked. Yayati introduced himself as king and explained that he was hunting in the forest and came upon them when he was looking for water to drink. With that, he said goodbye and turned to leave. Marry me, Devyani told him, suddenly stopping him in his tracks. Yayati shook his head and refused. You and I cannot marry. You are the daughter of a powerful Brahmana. I am a Shaktriya. Therefore, there can be no marriage between us. Devyani persisted, even as Yayati insisted that he was not worthy of her. She argued that Brahmana-Kshatriya marriages were completely acceptable and such marriages happened all the time. Additionally, she said since he has received a good education, he can also be considered a rishi. She told him that since he had held her right hand when he pulled her out of the well, it was only appropriate that he married her. I think here she is referring to the fact that in the Vedic wedding ceremony, the groom holds the bride by her right hand to walk around the sacrificial fire while taking their vows. So she probably means it is symbolic. Yayati told Devyani that he was worried about how her father might react if he asked to marry her. He was worried that he was a powerful Brahmana and might curse him if he unwittingly earned his displeasure. If your father agrees to this, I will marry you, Yayati told Devyani as he finally relented. Devyani was ecstatic. She knew that her father would not refuse her. She took Yayati to her father and introduced them to each other. She told her father about how Yayati saved her life by rescuing her from the well. She declared to her father that he was the only man she was interested in and she would marry no other. Even though he was concerned about the fact that it would be a mixed caste marriage, Shukracharya prioritized his daughter's happiness. So he gave the couple his blessings. Yayati, however, still had some misgivings about it being a mixed caste marriage. So he asked Shukracharya to grant him a boon as to not be negatively affected because of their marriage. Shukracharya blessed the couple and told Yayati to take care of his daughter. He also told him that through this marriage to Devyani, Yayati would inherit Sharmista and other slaves as well. Don't ever betray my daughter with Sharmista. You must stay away from her and all will be well for you. Shukracharya warned. Yayati and Devyani were married and they lived in Yayati's palace. Not only did Yayati make sure his new wife was comfortably situated, he also made sure that Sharmista and the thousand slaves were also well taken care of. Eventually, the couple had children together. Years passed and all was going well, but Charmista was growing concerned. She was getting older and was beginning to feel lonely. She wanted to have a family of her own, but because of the position she was in and the fact that she was living under the roof of the king and queen and under their protection, she couldn't marry just anyone. Not only that, she might be slave to Devyani, but she was still a princess. And so that complicated her situation even more. After contemplating her situation, she came to a conclusion that she would ask Yayati himself to be the father to her children because quite frankly, her options were severely limited. So, when the opportunity arose in the form of a meeting alone in the garden, Sharmista approached Yayati with her plans and laid out all her cards to him. It took some convincing but Sharmista finally got what she wanted. Yayati agreed to have children with her. They decided to keep their relationship secret because they were both scared about Devyani and Shukracharya's reaction. Yayati was even more worried because Shukracharya had particularly told him to stay away from Sharmista. Sharmista got her wish and she got pregnant with her first child. When Devyani came to know of the pregnancy, she questioned Sharmista about the father of the child. Sharmista told her that she met a learned man and asked him for a boon to which he agreed and that is how she was blessed with the child. Devyani was satisfied with the explanation and she never had a reason to doubt Sharmista's claims. That is, until the farce blew up in all their faces as it tended to do. A few more years passed as Devyani lived in blissful ignorance. Meanwhile, Sharmista had two more sons with Yayati. One day, Devyani was walking in the forest, accompanied by her husband. Not long after they entered the forest, they encountered three beautiful and healthy-looking boys playing in the forest. Devyani was curious about them because of their striking resemblance to Yayati. She asked the children, ''Who are your parents?'' The boys answered that Sharmista was their mother. They pointed to Yayati who was with Devyani and said that he was their father. Yayati did not dare acknowledge the children as he was in Devyani's presence. His refusal hurt the children and they started to cry. Seeing how Yayati's behavior affected the boys, Devyani figured out that they spoke the truth. Devyani was spitting mad. She rushed to Sharmista and confronted her over her treacherous conduct. You are my slave, and yet you act so treacherously. You are finally showing your true colors of the Asuri that you are. You have no concept of dharma, Devyani scolded Sharmista. I did not lie to you. Yayati is the learned man who granted me my boon. Like you, I too chose Yayati as my husband, and I treated you both right. Where is the wrong in that? I have not acted against dharma, Sharmista defended herself. Devyani was now beyond furious. I cannot stand to live in your presence, she declared and walked away. Yayati was anxious about what Devyani might do in her anger. He tried to calm her down but she wasn't in the mood to listen. Shukracharya learned of what happened from his distraught daughter and confronted Yayati about his actions. Yayati defended himself by claiming that he felt obliged to marry Sharmista because she pleaded with him for children and he could not refuse her. Shukracharya wasn't buying it. Then you should have come to me about it. I expressly warned you against getting involved with Sharmista, Shukracharya replied angrily. Shukracharya wasn't about to let Yayati get away easily with lies and betrayal. He cursed Yayati as a result of which… Yayati immediately lost his youth and turned into an old man. Yayati wasn't ready to accept the curse. He pleaded with Shukracharya to show him mercy because he wasn't ready to let go of his youth yet. There was so much more to do and so many pleasures to be had in life when one was young. Yayati was not ready to give up that kind of lifestyle yet. He told Shukracharya that he wanted to spend more time with Devyani. Eventually, Shukracharya relented a little bit. He said he couldn't change the curse. However, if another person is willing to receive it instead, Yayati can transfer his old age to that person. Yayati realized that this is the best he could do. So he made one more deal with his father-in-law. He asked to be granted a boon that whichever son of his agrees to receive his old age from him will be awarded with the kingdom and with success as a ruler. Shukracharya agreed. Determined to hold on to his youth, Yayati approached his sons from Devyani and Sharmista to give him their youth in exchange for his old age. His two sons from Devyani, Yadu and Thurvasu, and first two sons from Sharmista, Dhruhyu and Anu, refused to what their father asked them to do. They complained about the difficulties of aging and the dullening of senses due to old age. Yayati did not take kindly to being turned down. He believed that the burden of fulfilling a father's wishes and desires fell on the sons. He cursed all his sons, saying they, their lineages and the people they rule would experience suffering. Actually, he cursed all of his sons but one. His youngest son, Puru from Sharmista, agreed to exchange his youth for his father's old age. In turn, Yayati told Puru that he would give him his youth back after thousand years. Yayati also promised Puru that he would make him his heir. With his youth back, Yayati lived his life to the fullest for the next thousand years. He was a good king and ruled wisely and fairly. He enjoyed the finer things in life unapologetically and made the most of the thousand years of youth he had borrowed from his youngest son. Even as he was living life the way he liked and wanted, he was still acutely aware of the passing of time. His time of living as a young man would come to an end soon and Yayati struggled with the fact that he would have to embrace old age and death. Nevertheless, when the thousand years had passed and the time came for him to give back Puru's youth, he did so with grace he thanked Puru for the wonderful gift he had bestowed upon him and praised him for his unselfish act. As promised, Yayati named Puru as his heir. This caused uproar all over the kingdom. How can the king ignore his other older sons and instate the youngest as his heir? They questioned in disbelief. Yayati defended his decision. My older sons, Yadu, Turvasu, Yu, and Anu ignored my wishes and did not care for my desires. Sons are supposed to support their father in all their wishes. They disobeyed me and chose to put their comforts above mine. Only Puru was filial to me. He sacrificed his youth to please me. There is nothing wrong with my youngest son Puru succeeding me, Yati continued. Since Shukracharya himself granted me the boon, that the son who would exchange his youth with me would be given the throne. When the people of the court learned that the king's decision was backed by Shukracharya himself, they were appeased and they accepted Puru as their king. As for Yayati's other sons, they inherited smaller tribes. Blessed by the boon granted by great Shukracharya, Puru ruled the kingdom beautifully. His people lived in a peaceful and prosperous country and he became a much beloved king. Puru's descendants successfully ruled the kingdom after him and they are known as the Pauravas. Similarly, Yadu's descendants are the Yadavas, Turvasu's descendants are the Yavanas, Druhyu's descendants are the Bhojas and Anu's descendants are known as Mlechas. After instating his beloved son on the throne, the old king Yayati went to the forest to live a life of an ascetic, where he lived a simple and rigid life, spent in contemplation and living only on fruits and roots he could collect in the area. He lived like this till he reached the end of his life and finally entered heaven. His entry into heaven was said to be because of the various good deeds he performed while he was alive. He ruled as a good king, he was fair to his subjects and he protected them. Most of all, he was blessed due to his part in the establishment of the Puru lineage. And this is the story of Yayati, Devyani and Sharmista and how Puru became Yayati's heir. Not gonna lie. I struggled to relate to the characters in this story and the bizarre love triangle between Yayati, Devyani and Sharmista. It was hard to make sense of some of Yayati's decisions. Even considering the fact that he lived in a different society and lived by different rules back then, I found the complexities in the story perplexing. In order to decode Yayati's story and for relevant perspectives, I explored this story through the interpretations of more contemporary artists, namely Girish Karnad and V.S. Kandekar. In both these authors' adaptations of Yayati's story, they explore the very human craving for pleasure and our attitudes towards mortality. This helped me realize that this is a kind of story in which the characters are so incredibly complex that it inspires readers to study, contemplate, and recreate it, In the story, we also get to see attitudes about caste and mixed-caste marriages. I find that it is difficult to figure out their feelings on the subjects of mixed-caste marriages, because while in the story of Shakuntala and Dushyanta, mixed-caste marriages seemed to have been encouraged. In this story, it is shown that Yayati is worried about the consequences of marrying someone from a different caste, and yet he marries not one two women from different castes, and then proceeds to pass over his sons born from Devyani, a Brahman, and instead instates his son Puru, whose mother Sharmista is an Asuri, or she belongs to the Asura race, which is generally associated with darkness or more demonic concepts in the ancient texts. Scholars don't agree in that exact meaning or origin, however, but still, it Asuras weren't particularly represented as good people always. Anyways, the class division based on caste is more obvious in this story than any other story owing to the fact that Devyani is obsessed with the social differences between her and Sharmista. She uses words like superior, inferior, high birth, sin and evil in talking about caste. Talking about evil... Yayati's attachment to pleasures of life and desires are considered sinful and evil. His curse was supposed to be a punishment for the lies he told and the sins he committed, but he was allowed to get away with it because he saved Devyani's life once. The most darkly fascinating part of Yayati's character has to be the fact that he allowed actually deeply desired that one of his sons take on the burden of the punishment he received because of his actions. Such was Ayati's love for youth and the good things in life. On the other end of the spectrum there is Kacha, a Brahmana, a scholar's son who chose to take up brahmacharya in pursuit of learning the art of Sanjeevani. He was so dedicated to his commitment as a student He wouldn't even be tempted by sweet words from Devyani. He was the man Devyani fell in love with, the polar opposite of the man she chose to marry, That is, Yayati. In ancient Indian cultures, Brahmacharya meant different things for different people and different cultures, depending on if they are pursuing knowledge or exploring spirituality, if they are ascetics or regular people, if they are married or unmarried. In ancient India, people who sought to pursue knowledge or a skill would take a brahmacharya during the time of their studies in order to dedicate all their attentions and energy into the path of their choosing. Kacha was learning the art of Sanjeevni, an art that can help heal people or bring people back from death. The most famous reference is probably in the epic Ramayana, when Hanuman goes in search of a herb with properties of Sanjeevani to help heal the grievously injured Lakshmana who was Rama's brother. Towards the later part of his life, Yayati is portrayed as someone who has finally come to the realization that he needed to learn to accept his mortality gracefully and he does that by giving up his throne to his son and living as an ascetic, following rigid practices letting his body wither away slowly. Even there he leans towards the extreme. When I read the story for the first time, I have to be honest, I was not very attracted to the story nor the characters, mainly because the characters were so unlikable. However, the more I thought about it and the more I explored the ideas in the story, I understood that the grey and dark aspects of the characters is what makes this story interesting these characters and the stories. Their complicated nuances is what inspires writers of today to explore it in various other ways. It is also what makes this story and the Mahabharata in general, the story from the very distant past, relevant to us, the people of today. That was today's episode. You can find the resources used for the episode on the blog storiesofindiaretold.com. You can also read the stories on the blog. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube and you can find the links on the blog website. I would love to hear from you there. Please share with me your thoughts on Yayati's story and your feelings on mortality and how Yayati handled it. The Stories of India Retold podcast is available on most podcast apps and you can find the apps listed in the podcast website. Links to the blog and the podcast websites are listed in the episode description. Comments, likes, subscriptions are always appreciated. Please help spread the word about this podcast. I appreciate you listening and hope to see you here again next time. Dhaniawada. Thank you.